this day, the launch, <laughs> is uh, an end of a long story. Yes. For others, it's it's the beginning of hard hard work. On December 13th, 2022, the first in a new generation of European weather satellites was launched from Europe's spaceport in French Guyana. So there's less than half an hour to go. You can hear the event going on here behind me. It's definitely been a ramp up in anticipation in the last few minutes, just as uh, things look like they're going to go ahead. The Meteosat third generation Imager 1 satellite, or MTGI-1, will deliver advanced imagery of our atmosphere and planet and provide vital information to weather forecasters and scientists. And uh, they're just announcing that we're going to go to the live feed to watch the launch. Hello and welcome to the Metairn podcast. My name is Noel Fitzpatrick. This month we are looking to space and what the future holds for satellite meteorology. I attended the launch event for MTGI-1 at the European Space Agency in the Netherlands and had the chance to speak with some of the scientists and engineers involved in this mission and watch as they counted down to liftoff. So before we dig into this new mission, it's important to ask why we use weather satellites and to understand the significance of this new satellite launch. So essentially satellites give us a unique perspective and a unique way of observing our planet. So they allow us to get imagery and measurements from parts of the world where we wouldn't be normally able to take those observations. So if you think about traditional weather stations that we might use, these uh, are on the land surface, but it's not possible to have them covering every bit of land, particularly for remote locations. Then if we move to the oceans, which are vast and cover a huge part of the planet, uh, we can't install traditional weather stations. Uh, we may have some measurements coming from buoy and ship measurements, things like that, but we don't have a lot of information coming from those regions. And then there is the atmosphere itself. Obviously, there are very important processes taking place within the atmosphere right through its depth, and uh, surface-based weather stations cannot measure these. So satellites, because of their location high above the Earth, allow us to view a broad region of the planet. And uh, onboard satellites are, are sensors and, and uh, measurement devices that allow us to observe various properties of the land, the ocean and the atmosphere. So the Meteosat satellite that we'll be discussing is known as a geostationary satellite. So what a geostationary satellite does is it, it observes the same region or area of the planet all the time. So they are stationary relative to the planet, so hence geostationary. So as they're constantly looking at the same region, they can provide frequent updates and imagery. And this is very useful for, in, in the case of weather forecasting, for example, because we can see how uh, rapidly changing weather is, uh, is developing. So the, this program, the, the Meteosat program, has been in operation for, for over 40 years. Uh, observing Europe, Africa and, and other locations. It's an ongoing collaboration between the European Space Agency and UMETSAT, which is uh, the European Organization for Meteorological Satellites. So essentially, uh, the European Space Agency manage the building of the satellites themselves. And then once they're in space, UMETSAT manage their scientific missions. So uh, with this new satellite, which, as we said, is MTGI-1, the MTG stands for Meteosat Third Generation. 
So it will be the first in a constellation of three new satellites. And this will, set, this will replace the second generation of Meteosat, including what will be a, a planned replacement of those satellites in about 10 years' time. Meteosat third generation will be in operation for in order of, of two decades. During the build-up to the launch, I spoke with Pierre Cocu, an instrument engineer with the European Space Agency, about the process of developing the satellite and getting it to the launch pad. It was a hive of activity at the European Space Agency on launch day, as you could imagine. So uh, there is some background noise in the clips here, but hopefully it just gives you a sense of the atmosphere on the day. So today is obviously the launch of a satellite and usually a launch is the start of something new, but obviously yeah. this is also in another way the end of something, which is the preparation phase. Yes. Um, how long has this been in preparation? Oof. I have some colleagues who have been working on this project since 2008. Wow. When started the preparatory phase. I think the contract was signed in 2010. Okay. So 12 years up to wow. now. Yeah. So I have many people who have been here working for so many years. I've been personally there on uh, the project for seven years now. Okay. Uh, so it's like, yeah. a, it's like raising a child. <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, uh, it is. Yeah. And I'm just thinking about that first step. What is the first step to actually physically building a satellite? First step, you need to ask your users, what do you want from the next generation? For MTG, we knew that first we wanted to have continuity with MSG, so we keep uh, the heritage from Severi, the scanning instrument. And then we want to, to have more, uh, better accuracy, a more, uh, better revisit time, and so on. So you want to have your user requirement. And then you need to look at what, are, what is the technology that we have today, what is the technology we expect to develop in, in the coming years. Mm -hmm. And then you need to, to negotiate between all parties to, to try to find a common ground, like something that is ambitious, but not too ambitious, mm -hmm. something that you can um, manage to reach within the budget. And then, uh, yeah, then you start uh, making studies, developing new detectors, developing new optics, testing them to make sure that it meets the allocated budget in terms of performance. Okay. And then that's the whole design. Then we have this big, uh, we have a PDR, which is a preliminary design review. Then we have a critical design review. And then we say, okay, yes, we believe this design is good. It will meet the requirement. We start building it. And then you start from the, the ground base. So you assemble the small components okay. into bigger components, into subsystems, systems, instruments. And then all the instruments are shipped to Cannes, where the final assembly place. Okay, so there are a lot of different parties involved then, I guess, yes. a lot of different groups yeah. working on different aspects. And in the FCI, which is which is the imager on this satellite, um, yes. and it's an imaging satellite that's going up tonight, what's the what are the big differences between this imager and the imager on the previous, or, or I guess yes. the current generation of Meteosat? Yes, so the, the current generation, MSG, Meteosat second generation, is a spinning satellite. So basically it's like a, I think we call it in English a topper, like a top, yes, no, yeah. spinning on itself. And basically the, the scanning from west to east is done by this spinning. So basically the Severi, the instrument on MSG, is just scanning from west to east the Earth, and then it's scanning the rest of the time deep space because the satellite is turning around itself. And then that's the, the yeah, west-east uh, movement, and then the north-south is just taken by a colon of uh, the um, pixels. MTG, it's uh, what we call a three-axis stabilized satellite, so basically it, do it doesn't spin, it just stares at the Earth. Okay. So we need a, a scan mechanism to scan the Earth from west to east and from north to south. Mm -hmm. 
And in terms of, say, the quality and, and how frequently we get the images, th there have been improvements in that also? Yes. One of the key points of going to three-axis stabilize is that we don't lose 90% of the time scanning the deep space okay. where we don't care. So we're always looking at the Earth, always getting more data. So we reduce the revisit time. So I think it was 15 minutes to get full Earth. Now it's 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. We also have a better precision, better accuracy. Sorry. So the pixels are smaller. We have channels with 500 meters, one kilometer or two kilometer resolution. It was twice as much uh, on MSG. Fantastic. And you mentioned then when, when all the components are, are they're maybe being manufactured in other places, but they're all being assembled in a, in a facility in Cannes. Yeah. What's what is it? That must be a very specialized facility. Yes. So in Cannes, they have big clean rooms and they have large teams called AIT, Assembly, Integration and Testing. These are people, technicians that are used to work in these clean rooms where you have all the equipment protections and to deal with very valuable equipment. You cannot, you know, get the screwdrivers falling from a ladder and <laughs> scratching a one million mirror. So these are very specialized people, very trained. You have to have people uh, certified to, 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 to be doing soldering and so on. Then you assemble all the satellite and then you have also very specialized equipment to test it. So you need to simulate the space environment. So you need to do first shaking it to simulate the um, launcher vibration. Okay. So they have this huge called shaker, just tables that can move uh, laterally and uh, all directions actually at high frequencies. Okay. Then you have thermal vacuum chambers. It's yeah, a big chamber that you close and you make the vacuum out of it to simulate the vacuum in space, also to, vac to simulate the temperature, so you have to cool it down very cold, like in space. Okay. These are very specific, very expensive, very big uh, facilities that they have in Canada. And you mentioned there, obviously, how, how careful you have to be not to damage this satellite. Yes. Considering that the satellite has been launched in French Guiana, uh, the transportation must be something that you have to give a lot of consideration to. How, yes. how did you get it there? Yes, and it's also quite interesting uh, and unfortunate is that uh, because of the war, uh, Russia invaded Ukraine, all the specialized planes the, from the brand Antonov, yes. these are huge cargo airplanes that can carry heavy loads. They were, half of them are belonging to Russia, half of them is belonging to Ukrainian uh, people, but they are obviously taken by some other priorities. So it was very difficult to get one of these planes. So we had to find another solution. And the other solution was to take the boat. So we had the boat leaving uh, France, going to uh, Kourou, to, to Cayenne and then to Kourou. And uh, yeah, this was also a challenge for us because it means that instead of having a one-day flight, we had a two weeks okay. boat trip. So it means we had two weeks less in our timeline to assemble the satellite. And at the end of a project, it's always when you are rushing everything because you're always a bit late and you, you want to finish everything, you want to do more tests. But no, we had to, to squeeze everything so that we would be ready for the boat. Okay. Uh, the boat had to leave at a specific date, otherwise we would miss the, the launch. So. And then you've got a, two extra weeks to worry about what's happening to the satellite yes. as it's travel. And then there was a, yeah, a joke like, who's going to go on the boat? Because someone needs to go on the boat to, to, to babysit the satellite. Of course. So. <laughs> <laughs> so we're about three hours away from the launch now. As, as we get close, uh, what are the kind of things that are... Uh, at the forefront of your mind? Do you have concerns at the moment as we're getting close to the launch? Myself, not so concerned, no. Um, I know my colleagues woke up very early this morning. Uh, they switched on the satellite. They've checked the telemetry the whole day. Everything is, uh, is green, is, is correct. So I know the satellite is perfect health. And satellite is flying on Ariane 5, which is a very successful rocket, very 
big success record. So I'm sure the, 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 the launch will be nice, will be safe. And then I'm mostly excited uh, because, yeah, over the last seven years I've been preparing algorithms, I've been doing performance analysis, but all based on simulations of on budgets. But now we'll get the, the real test, the real data, and that's when we see the moment of truth. Uh, has all my work been meaningful or was I completely wrong? Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> Let's oh, see. Of course. Well, it's a very exciting time, and I hope you were able to enjoy this evening. And uh, thank you for, for giving us your time. Yeah, thank you very much. Bye. As mentioned, UMETSAT are the European organization that operate the scientific missions of Europe's weather satellites. I spoke with Lothar Schuller, who manages UMETSAT's SAF network. This is a series of research centers across Europe that develop useful products and applications from satellite data. This covers a range of areas, including weather prediction, ocean monitoring, and climate research. As I did when speaking with Pierre, I started by asking Lothar when the planning for MTG began in UMETSAT. Oh, uh, I, I can say that when I joined UMETSAT uh, 18 years ago, it was already around as, as an idea uh, or as, as a need to continue the Meteosat program even after the second generation that was about or was just launched uh, at, at that time. So there were studies already going on uh, in how, how to approach the discussion what, what will be needed in, in the late 20s, yes. in, the, in, in the 30s and, and the 40s. So that was about 20 years ago mm. that the preparation to set up the program was discussed at UMEDSAT uh, with experts, with our member states, of course. And the decisions to, to have a program and also the funding for uh, all these of satellites, etc., are that was taken about 10 years ago. Okay, and a lot of uh, foresight needed, I would imagine, to kind of predict what's going to be needed and also what uh, the capabilities will be, I guess, uh, by the time lo the launch comes around. Oh, yes, yeah, and that's that's a big, big challenge, uh, challenge I should say, because uh, <laughs> you need a a lot of prediction on, on two things. What will be needed in so many years ahead? Because not only the satellite and the technology is involving, but also the, the whole business of weather prediction, mm -hmm. the computer models, how capable are they, what are new uh, findings and, and new, new approaches. So, uh, but that needs to be taken into account early enough to, to set up the um, a new satellite system. And the other thing is, what will be the technical capabilities to mm -hmm. actually to, to deploy in, in space mm -hmm. that fulfills this need? And then there is a third element, difficult as well, is how much of this is affordable? Mm -hmm. Because someone needs to pay for of it. Course, and, yeah. uh, and, and that's then also a difficult decisions to, to be taken. In particular, if um, you take into account that, well, today we, we start a new generation, but mm -hmm. that will be the system for the next decades, yes. actually. So we don't update our system, our technology every year no, of <laughs> or course. every few years, yeah. because that would also be um, quite difficult for our users, our MAT services to, to adapt to. Of course. 
And you mentioned how there have been previous generations of this satellite, so this is the third generation. What has changed the most between the current generation, the second generation, and this new generation that's going forward? What are the big, mm. uh, big changes that we can expect? Yes, are in, in, in many aspects. Maybe the most striking one from, from a um, spacecraft point of view is that with the first and the second generation, we had, let's say, several individual satellites, but in each generation, they were all the same. Mm -hmm. Same instrumentation and um, same, same configuration, basically. And uh, also with the ability that one satellite could replace the other satellite if, if needed. Okay. It's also very important. Now with the third generation, the concept is different because we have, in, in the full configuration, we have three satellites operating at the same time. Two of them are twins, so they are identical mm -hmm. in terms of instrumentation. And then the other one, and that is the new thing, is a satellite with a very unique and a novel instrumentation on that orbit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, That is the MTGS, the sounder satellites. Okay. We're not going to launch it today, so today <laughs> we launch one of the twins, and that is the imager. So with two instruments um, providing images of, of the Earth's disk. So that's in terms of the satellite, the spacecraft, and its configuration, that's, that's quite novel. Um, in terms of the instruments that are on there, okay, I mentioned already the, the sounders in this our, our next satellite to, to come. So that's, that's very, very unique. But also on the imager, uh, we have new capabilities of the, the main instruments, that's the, called the flexible combined imager, which has more spectral channels, more capabilities, a better resolution, making images of the Earth's disk more often. Mm -hmm. But the new sensor on the Meteosat program is the lightning imager. That's something in addition to, let's say, the traditional imager. And, um, well, the name says it, it's there to observe the lightnings that, that appear. And, and lightning is not only spectacular meteorological phenomenon, but it's also in very important indicator to see where there is severe weather mm -hmm. and where it's moving to and where it is the severe weather is is initiated mm -hmm. and to do this to observe this from space in addition to the observation from ground mm -hmm. that is believed to be a big advantage a big improvement for the weather forecast uh, for severe weather, but just think about aviation. Mm -hmm. This is our, we all know that lightning is, is, is something um, that, that is important for the security of air traffic. Yes. Over ground as well as many flights uh, over the ocean where we don't have ground-based yeah. uh, uh, lightning sensors. So that's the new um, element on, on the imager. Yeah, that's that's a that's a really um, 
big change from what we're used to. So as you say, there's a few different elements there. We've we've a improvement, I guess, of what is already out there. So we, we're getting better resolution imagery, we're getting it more frequently. We have the addition of the lightning imager, and then as you mentioned, the sounder, which will be providing these profiles of temperature and humidity through our atmosphere. Very useful for things like numerical weather prediction. Yeah and for telling our forecasters where there's a humidity or you might have storms developing later on in the day, things like that. If you're not a weather forecaster, if you're a member of the public and your exposure to weather data is through uh, maybe uh, an app on your phone or listening to the forecast in the evening, why should you be excited about this launch, do you think? Well, for for these people, for all of us, for all the citizens, um, they is there is exciting news and, and new developments. Um, but I think more important is our, is the continuation. And our, this is maybe overlooked in you know these exciting te- uh, times. I think the important message is that there will be additional meteosats around, independent of the advancements of the technology. So to continue the observations because this is very clear and also could be our uh, evidence could be provided in, in studies that this observation is, is saving life, is saving properties, and we can't afford and we do not want to afford a data gap mm-hmm. to have this observation missing mm-hmm. because we can't do or the users, the med service can't do reliable weather forecast and are in essential information is missing in in severe situations so <laughs> that that's the most important message that this instrument will be there and the risk of a data gap is reduced with every new meteosat that is put in space so that's the good news i would say of of today but you are asking about excitement of the new things and here i would say in principle it is the improvement of weather forecast mm-hmm. that is enabled through this um, observation I, uh, I I heard an earlier episode of, of this podcast mm-hmm. about ensemble forecast so uh, that's that's very good ensemble forecast um, which uses different initial states and see how the chaotic weather system develops in order to understand uh, for the time to be forecasted. So what is the range of of possibilities? Mm -hmm. If we know better the situation where the prediction actually starts and these new satellites can provide this more often, more more accurate. Mm-hmm. Then the number of solutions is is reduced, yes. and the uncertainty of the of the prediction uh, is is reduced as well. Weather forecast is more accurate, mm-hmm. independently from where you get it from the newspaper, from the app for specific apps for sailing or hiking and uh, and, and and so on. Yeah, that's that's a, a very good point you make there, that there's obviously new elements to be excited about, but most importantly, that maybe say for over 40 years or so, we've been getting information from these satellites. We may not realize in, in our sort of general every day-to-day lives how important that information is, but if it was to be gone, then we yeah. would really notice. Yeah. So this, that continuity is, is so important. In the development of this 
this program, from your perspective, what has been as the sort of the, the biggest challenges that you've had to encounter? I mean, I'm sure there have been several, but are, are, is there something in particular that stands out as a particularly challenging period with this development? Well, uh, a lot of challenges from uh, technology and engineering point of view, mm. and, and that is um, also maybe one element is the stabilization of the satellites in its geostationary orbit. The the previous uh, meteor generations were rotating like a washing machine, yes, <laughs> rotating yeah. and and getting a very stable position there. Although it uh, through also the instruments were rotating as well, o- only a fraction of time it was actually observing the Earth. Of course, um, and stability just is, is so important because obviously you're t- you're taking a, a picture from such a far away distance yeah. that if the satellite is moving at all, you're, you're risking uh, r- ruining the image. Oh yes, yeah. yes, and now the new generation is our three-axis stabilized, so it is more or less as a fixed orientation with respect to the Earth, and also that allows also to have these more frequent images and and so on. Other challenges are the new instruments. Mm -hmm. So, as I said, for example, the sounders have been flown on other orbits, and a lot of experience has been gained, but it's the first time uh, to have it uh, on, on a geostationary orbit. Uh, from a user point of view uh, and the, the, the processing of the data and getting it to the users, uh, getting it to the MET services in, in an operational way, I should say the biggest challenge is to deal with the increased data amount mm-hmm. that these systems are providing. Um, it's roughly 50 times more data coming through from from space through the crown segment they need to be wow. processed quality controlled they have to be disseminated to to the users and well and that's, everyone that's in comparison to the to the current generation to, to the current yes. generation yes yeah. yeah and and of course weather forecast is a um, time critical yes of course business <laughs> yeah so so we can't afford just waiting for a month until everything is downloaded and then analyzed so it has to be to be fast and have to arrive in time. So this is a challenge that is 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 not over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we will after the launch. Of course, it takes some time to um, well, of course, first <laughs> the satellite to find its right orbit, the instruments to be switched on, and then there is a rather intensive period of testing all the instruments mm-hmm. to make sure that they they measure uh, and they they perform as expected and then it's important also to validate the information because that would be disastrous to provide them met services to forecasters with with wrong information so that needs to be quality controlled very very much so yeah, where maybe for some people, the developers of the satellite systems, the launchers, etc., this day, the launch, <laughs> is uh, an end of a long story. Yes. For others, it's, it's the beginning of hard, hard work. Absolutely. Well, it's a huge amount of work. It's a, it's a very exciting time. Um, 
but uh, I hope you enjoyed the launch this evening and mm -hmm. uh, we'll, uh, we'll sit back and we'll wait with anticipation for the data as it comes down, perhaps in a year's time, and, and look forward to it. But thank you for giving us our time today. Oh, it was a pleasure. Thank you. So both of those interviews took place in the hours leading up to the launch of the satellite. So as I've mentioned, I was attending the launch event at the European Space Agency, which is located in the Netherlands. The satellite itself was being launched, as mentioned, from the European Spaceport, which is in French Guiana. So I had never been to a satellite launch before. Uh, my, my images of, of satellite and, and rocket launches are what you might have seen from things like the the moon missions, the Apollo launches, uh, or Apollo 13, things like that. And that was very much the scene at the launch uh, site in French Guiana. Where I was based was more of a gathering of, of scientists and engineers who had worked on the project. And we were gathered in this large uh, venue, which had a large screen with a direct connection to the, uh, to the launch site. And we were getting regular updates on uh, what was happening there, uh, if there was good progress, if things were likely to go ahead, and, and obviously, of course, the, the countdown for the time as well. My sort of day-to-day -day work with MetAaron uses satellite data and having awareness of how useful this data will be, uh, it was exciting to, to be present for the launch and... Uh, there was also obviously quite a bit of anticipation there and, and with the other scientists who had worked directly on the, on the satellite, there were nerves as well. Okay, so we had an announcement there, just a one minute to go to launch. Everything's getting very tense here. So at this point, more and more people were gathering to watch uh, the live feed coming in on the screen and you could really feel the tension starting to build and increase in the room. In those last 60 seconds, the room got quieter and quieter as we approached the final countdown and the launch of MTG I-1. As the rocket took off, what surprised me was how quiet everyone remained. There was none of the sort of the loud cheering or clapping or hugging that I was expecting, considering how invested the people in this room were in a successful launch and having spoken to them and know, knowing how much it meant to them. But the reality was that for them, it was not yet a success and they were still watching cautiously. So there's a real buzz of activity around here now. We've had a successful launch and we have had separation of the satellite uh, housing with the rest of the rocket. So the big thing that they're waking out for now is when the satellite will deploy its solar array. So that's so important because if it can't deploy its solar array, it can't get power. So the mission isn't considered, or at least the, the launch isn't considered a success from a satellite side of things until that happens. So uh, we're holding out for that and that'll be in another half an hour or so, I guess. The period after launch, before the satellite reaches its geostationary orbit is known as the LEOP or launch and early orbit phase. And it was being managed from the Fushino Space Center in Italy. 
After another 30 or so anxious minutes, reports came in from Italy that the solar arrays had successfully deployed and the satellite was now charging its batteries. So a shout has just gone up. We've just had confirmation that the solar array for MTG1i has successfully opened. So the satellite will be able to get power and it can be considered a successful launch as ter- in terms of the satellite. So as you'll just have heard, we have had a successful deployment of the solar panels, which means the satellite is able to power itself, and that is considered a successful launch for MTG I-1. So it's been a very positive night here, a lot of very happy people, a lot of very relieved people. You can see it uh, just those few moments before we got confirmation. they were speaking to some of the main uh, mission mission managers and, and program managers and they were very, very anxious uh, waiting to hear uh, the news that the solar panels had successfully deployed. So uh, a very successful launch and now the work begins. Since its launch, MTGI-1 has successfully completed its early orbit phase and it now sits in position over the equator. 36,000 kilometers above the Earth. It will take another few months of rigorous in-space testing before the data from the new satellite will be available. But in the meantime, we look forward to a new era in Earth observation, where scientists and forecasters will look to realize the potential of these new sources of information and maximize the benefits for our society. That's all for this episode. My thanks to Pierre and Lothar for giving me their time on what was a very busy day and to the coordinators at the European Space Agency and UMETSAT. As always, if you've any thoughts or questions on today's episode, be sure to get in touch on Met Aaron's social media channels or drop an email to podcast at met.ie. And if you're not already subscribed, you can do so wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in and I look forward to speaking with you next time.